Collecting your life's data is probably the most important job every single day you got. Basics of measuring and understanding change in yourself. I struggled to find the right title for this. This idea I carried with me for years now. This idea is not something very unique to me, but I, uh, but I still am trying to figure out a better way to implement it into my life and still haven't found a system that works well enough to make me do the things I gotta do in order to get the things I wanna have. In general, not something new either. I hate talking about this because I feel like this topic is so overdone up to a point where every single word connected and related to this topic just screams self-help. And this is not what it's about. Not about being positive, being optimistic, believing in yourself. Not about faking it till you make it. Although that's something when interpreted in the right way actually has a pretty decent base in psychology and neuroscience. Basically, it's this. Everything psychological is biological at the same time. That's the assumption. Your brain is like a big transportation network. When you think, your thoughts are equivalent to probably millions of devices, of vehicles, and things driving on these roads at different speeds. If you accumulate all this traffic data at any given point in time, you get the neural activity representing your thoughts. Now, want to change yourself? It's not enough to just announce to change yourself, because you still think on the exact same transportation network. Meaning, if there is a highway from turning on your phone that leads directly to Instagram, then it's probably not enough to just announce to this highway. To announce this highway is not usable anymore. The thing is, you actually gotta destroy it. This takes time, meaning in order to be something different, you have to change your neural network first. So now, every time you fake something, let's say you wanna learn an instrument, therefore, you fake being a pianist, for example. Over time, you actually will become a pianist. But if you never start faking stuff, then you cannot change your brain. Then you cannot change you. To sum it up, in order to change you, you need to actually do different things. This is the only way to change. Action over time equals change. But you cannot change if you do not change your actions. So you have to fake those actions first. Fake being someone different. Otherwise, change won't happen. And this is exactly why this positivity culture we more and more find ourselves in is kind of, well, not getting us anywhere. Because it basically states, you have to accept yourself. You have to accept whatever you are. Be yourself. Stay yourself. We also want others to stay exactly the same, because otherwise we would have to change our view about these other people, friends and family. But the thing is, you cannot stand still. The brain constantly adapts, constantly changes every single day, every hour, every second. You change the brain by existing. Therefore, if you don't take action to try to influence this change into the right direction, you will end up somewhere anyway. There is no status quo. If you accept, for example, your health the way it is after improving your diet, and you accept the status quo, then what you are actually effectively doing is deciding to now downgrade again, to degrade again. This is not a single thing. There is not a single thing where you just can't stop and freeze a value. 
The thing is, before you've reached your goal, the you that existed is defined as a positive rate of change, also called a positive deviation, like accelerating a car up to a certain speed. But now, if you have reached a speed, you just cannot hold it steady, because in reality, it is not possible to hold something at a constant value. In reality, you are just adjusting your foot on the gas pedal all the time, driving slower, driving faster. But... That's not even the point. Then, up until your target speed, the you that was you, up until this target speed or a car that was defined by going faster every second, defined by accelerating the speed, not by the speed itself, but by its deviation. If you now hold a certain speed, your acceleration value goes from something positive to zero. And this is a problem, because you think you reached something, but the moment you reach it, you have to go further. You cannot stand still, because standing still is not possible. You have to move forward at least with the same speed as before, because otherwise you regress. Otherwise you become worse. Whatever that means for any given value. But the thing about these numbers, this data, these values... These things in our lives we want to do, we want to do better at. We want to improve. They often cannot really be measured by us. Because our perception of how things are really going is distorted by so many variables that it almost makes no sense to trust to trust your own judgment. Therefore, if we really want to know how well we are doing, we have to find an objective perspective on how things are going. In other words, we need data. And this is where tracking comes in. What I call tracking is nothing different than collecting data for the things you want to improve. But in order to track the data, you actually have to find data that represents the real-world change you want to track in a way that is as accurate as possible. But since reality is very often complex, not only complicated, but complex, we rarely find these key variables to represent the things we want to reach and therefore track really well. Let's say you want to know how healthy you are. Some would say that's how healthy you look or how attractive. And there is indeed an evolutionary argument to be made about a high correlation between sexual attractiveness and health, since evolution had to find a way, a very single value, to assess someone's health in split seconds. Some would say how much they weigh, some how healthy they eat, some how often they visit Burger King, some which soap they use, some what their running paces are, some how good their posture is, some how often they have to visit the doctor. The problem is, which of these values does represent, do represent the overall variable or value health as good as humanly possible, has the highest correlation with the target value health we want to optimize. The thing is, the answer isn't obvious at all. If you measure your health by your weight, then the weight is probably a good indicator of a person's or your own health when it comes to both ends of the weight distribution graph. If you got a very high weight, this probably means you are overweight. But if you are 1.9... 
195 meters or centimeters rather and weighed 90 kilograms and someone else also weighs in at 90 kilograms but 30 centimeters less in height. In theory, the closer you are to the average of the human population, the better. In theory, if two-thirds of the human population wasn't overweight, being amongst most others. Actually, this is not true, it's rather 39% in the adult population. Or not being at the extremes of the weight distribution would actually be a somewhat good indicator of health. The crazy thing these days is most of us are overweight. Therefore, having a healthy weight is increasingly not normal anymore. With normal being defined as within the norm or simply being average. And that's a problem, because if you now say you want to lose weight, two-thirds of people otherwise you are unsubs- or <laughs> unconsciously don't want you to. Because people in general tend to defend the things they have. People don't want to change, the brain doesn't want to change. I don't want to get into the ideal weight discussion too much, but ever wondered why, if there is one person with just a little bit too little body fat on the whole internet, everybody's right on it. Even up to the point of demanding of platforms like YouTube cancelling this person's probably only reliable source of income. But if there is a person just with a little bit too much body fat on the whole internet, then, well, nothing happens. Because two-thirds of people... Don't see the point in criticizing another person's fat percentage similar to their own, because that fat would mean criticizing themselves. But if one person dares to state the fact it's a little bit loopsided to not criticize both ends of the weight spectrum, then it's fat shaming. And that's basically forbidden. But we got off track here, you see. This is where it gets tricky. The variable weight isn't a good indicator of health at all. Only for for the average jaw. How about body fat then, or muscle mass? Then the same holds true. In order to improve the indicator quality of a variable, we have to count in the most relevant other variables that contribute to or influence the value of the first variable. In other words, create a relation of weight to height. And this new value can predict the health of a person already better than before. And here is where we meet today's culture. We, as kind of dumb humans, often just take the variable weight and compare it to another person's weight. The variable height and compare it to another person's weight. So if your friend is the same weight but 20 centimeters taller, then comparing your weight is not the smallest thing you can potentially come up with. Let's say it's not your average Joe's weight you are trying to use to predict Joe's health, but the average Jane's, and then you run again into a problem because women in general just have more body fat per height than men. Also, they are on average smaller than men. Also, they are on average, they on average live longer than men. Also, they on average cannot run as fast as men. But are you saying women cannot run as fast as men? No. But on average, it is easier for the average male to reach a certain running speed, maybe due to men being taller in general, or other changes positively correlating with potential running speed when switching from one gender to the other. But we have to get on track again. What I am trying to say is this, we have to find a variable that represents the goal we search for as good as possible. And when it comes to health, this is already pretty difficult. In an ideal case, we would have a variable that ranges from 100, from 
1 to 100% or from 0 to 1 for that matter, unified. And predicts your health as good as possible, counting in all other variables making the health value making up the half value, or at least the most relevant ones, which we have to find first. But since we don't have a health score yet, and even if you created one, you couldn't actually use it to compare your health score to other people, it makes sense to track the things you can track, because you can make up the health score any time later, given you have the data then you can factor in your weight, age, gender, activity level, amount of sleep per day, amount of caffeine consumption, food intake, macro levels, your body fat percentage, your mood, your stress levels, your heart rate, your blood pressure, your posture, your flexibility, maybe your hormone levels, maybe measure your brain's processing power by a standardized test at a given time interval, within a given time interval. The list goes on and on, but here's this. If you miss out on tracking the data, then you simply cannot know for sure if something works. If you are getting healthier, if you actually reach the thing you want to reach, if you are actually getting closer to your goal, even if achieving your goal doesn't mean you should stop your current rate of change, but rather keep it or increase it even. So determine what's important, and then find variables that predict as accurately as possible how you are doing but also give you the right incentive that leads you as much as possible to your long-term goal. Example. Since I am writing or speaking this, this is probably something that's important to me. Now the big question is what value is the best for tracking my progress when it comes to blogging? gives me the best incentive to do the thing that makes the most sense long-term? Is it the number of words per post? Is it the number of posts? Is it the rate at which posts are published? Is it the rate I am writing at? Is it my typing speed? Let's say, for example, I took the number of published posts. I first took this value. The problem is this. It doesn't make sense to publish 10 posts in a week and then posting nothing in a year. Therefore, it makes the most long-term sense to spread out the posts I'm writing over time. Now, if I write a post but don't publish it, because it makes more sense to wait and therefore to schedule it, I actually am not getting any closer to my goal, in this case maximizing the number of posts. Therefore, the variable amount of published posts doesn't rip reflect my actual input. If I now increase my effort and write and write, nothing changes. Therefore, because I also get other things to do, it doesn't make sense to write anymore. Opportunity cost. Because it isn't reflected in the variables I track. Sucks. So we have to find a variable that reflects my effort better. Namely, the overall number of posts published and scheduled. Therefore, if I now write a post, the absolute change in my target value number of written posts is actually reflected in the number of posts I add, even when not directly publishing them. Therefore, it encourages me to write another. But I am kind of smart, at least that's what I like to think. Therefore, I try everything I can to reach my target faster. So how about cutting down the length of a single post? Given everything else, like my writing speed and my thinking speed stay constant, if I half the amount of words per post, I actually could write twice as much posts per time. Therefore, double my productivity and double the speed at which I am moving towards my target. 
neat, isn't it? But as soon as I do that, the system I created would encourage me to again cut down the average post length and therefore double my output again until every post is just one single letter. Which now doesn't make sense anymore, because I am missing the real goal, given I don't want single letters to be published to the world, so I have to find another variable that cannot be cheated on as easily as the number of overall posts. Like the total amount of words I've wrote so far, because they actually reflect how much I wrote much better. That of course still doesn't include a completely unquantified measurement of quality, bringing up the age-old question, should you be a perfectionist or be able to publish crap in your eyes? To shorten this discussion and to sum up a study with photography students, reducing the perceived quality of output by the person creating the output increases the output, therefore learning can occur given one actually can improve performance given predictability, and hence more output and often better output in general. But that's a whole other story, and quality is a lot more difficult to track than quantity. Sum it up. In order to achieve something, we have to change. We change by acting first and therefore our brain rebuilds parts of itself and adapts to the new actions. We have to fake it until we make it, because there is no change in us without us changing. But reaching a goal doesn't mean it's time to stop. And stopping itself is exactly the thing we want to avoid, and just decreasing the rate of change is already stopping the change. Maybe regressing to the old, subjectively worse version of ourselves. In order to track this change, we have to find variables that are as cheat-proof as possible. Optimizing their value should result in changing the direction of your goal. If you take blog posting as an example, you could post more if you wrote less per post. This would lead to an optimization process with an unwanted outcome. Did you already change reading this? Listening to this?